0: Welcome back to the 40K Fireside Podcast, where I'm just redoing this introduction, just keeping it fresh with the times. Just going to give you guys a friendly reminder that if you do enjoy our content, maybe consider dropping some kind of like, comment, or subscribe, or just engage with the discussion. Help out that internet algorithm. And we're going to be releasing some new stuff kind of soon. Hopefully we'll have some exciting news. And without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: And welcome everyone to episode 21 of 40k Fireside. This is a pretty exciting episode because we've just come back from Warhammer Fest, the 360 person Super Major, the first um, Games Workshop open event that we've had in the UK. And uh, our, our team, Team Ignite, did extremely well at this tournament. Um, we had three players go into the, the top 16, which is the final bracket, the kind of elimination rounds to, to get your final ranking. And um, that's pretty impressive considering what five of us went. So mm-hmm. we've got one of them with me, who's my co-host today, David Gaylard, who uh, <laughs> went all the way through to the finals and finished the event in an amazing second place, which is, uh, which is an amazing job, Dave. So congrats. Yeah, thanks. Yeah,
0: it was uh, it's kind of surreal when you get to that 8 and 0 mark and you're like <laughs> I've won 8 games in a row. <laughs> and then like even ninth, 9 and 0 is even more crazy than that right? You're like 9 games straight like in practice that might happen but in the, you know in your practice games but the tournament games is like man, 8 games straight
1: Absolutely. It's a a complete marathon. I'm amazed you're able to kind of record straight off of it uh, now. But we've got to get the information to you guys today. So we're going to go through kind of Dave's list, which is an astro-militarum list, but it's not exactly what you would think. this is one of the things I'm, I was most impressed during the list design phase with Dave was that he was really digging for creative options on his list design to help deal with both the meta and the terrain. Um, and, and I think he really hit the mark there. We will touch a little bit on uh, my side of things as well. I brought my uh, my classic Eldar list, uh, but we've kind of gone through that over and over again. And, and I didn't do quite so well. I did take a loss and I went three, uh, 4-1-1. Um, before um, not playing through to the the final day because i was not in the top in the, in the final bracket so mm-hmm. Uh, We're going to be focusing a lot on Dave and his game and his philosophies and ethos because there are even a few games on stream here if you wanted to kind of go back and see how Dave kind of played these games out because he really did the last (laughs) few games very masterfully in my opinion. Um, It's a big compliment. (laughs) Yeah, really like such a huge, vast improvement from when I kind of first met you to see the development to this stage. Uh, And (laughs) people were... singing your praises in chat as well about how well you were playing so wow. uh we're gonna stop making you blush quite so much now <laughs> <laughs> and uh did you have anything else you wanted to kind of plug or say at this point yeah yet? i
0: just wanted to say um we'll be focusing i guess on on my tournament run but we also had brian site from team ignite who was playing was it point for point the same list as you point
1: Vick? for point spell point for, for spell point. every single thing
0: oh yeah so um he ended up coming third place uh, getting the golden ticket for, pl- uh, flights expenses paid because, uh, Ennis Wilson spoiler alert. And I already had one. Then we had, uh, one of our teammates, Christopher Radford, who is the, the newest joiner, but is a regular on UKTC, um, UKTC scene, he came 10th playing space wolves. Uh, then we had, uh, Jockle who came at the top, I believe, or just about at the top of the, um, second bracket. So the bracket that wasn't the top 16 cut. Uh, yeah, so I mean, a huge performance for our whole team. It was, you know, really cool to see everyone do super well, and more so than that, just our preparation uh, coming together. I think because this is not a UKTC event, so it's one of those events where it's the most wide open. I think, right? Yeah, and
1: you know, everyone wanted to attend it, so we had every single really good player and quite a few yeah. good players from Europe as well attend the event. Yep. Uh, so it was it was a proper shark tank, and uh, it's quite a quite a challenging tournament, really. And not only the player side of things, but like you mentioned, the terrain is the mm. terrain that the the Americans are more used to than us. We've never played on this terrain in real life. Mm. Um, so that was, uh, I, I think that is going to be a really big talking point for us this episode yeah. um, to kind of discuss the pros and cons of the terrain and how we kind of feel about it going forward, because I'm pretty sure based on the success of this event that there's going to be a few more op- uh, kind of Games Workshop opens here mm. in the UK
0: yeah and i would hope so so perhaps on that note let's go through the warhammer fest because obviously there was a, a big convention happening at the same time it was i'm we're unsure on the exact numbers but it was supposed to be fourteen thousand people attendees mm-hmm. um spread across those three days so if i'm going to be talking a lot Vic, why don't you talk about the what you thought about the warhammer fest and Maybe what was one of your favorite parts about it aside from the tournament and kind of like what, what the general atmosphere was like?
1: So uh, I'm going to start off with my opening scene when I went to queue at, uh, <laughs> uh, at this event. It's a lot of people, so there was a big queue to get in, but they did it pretty efficiently, to be honest. The organization throughout was great. But during this, um, I was queuing behind uh, three Death Watch Space Marines and their <laughs> fellow Inquisitor. Uh, and that really set the scene because I think this compared to a UKTC event which is UKTC events is a concentration of pure amazing warhammer competitive warhammer this was a collection of pure awesome warhammer energy just com- like all mm. spectrums of uh, games workshop games and events and things and it just felt like such a positive nerdy vibe when yeah. you get there i i think the atmosphere was great the organization was amazing and in the corner somewhere, they hit us, the competitive 40k players. Yeah, exactly. And uh, when you got to the competitive 40k side of things, it had a very different feel to kind of most tournaments I've been to. Mm-hmm. But I'd say before we kind of go into the details, my overall rating of the event and the experience is pretty positive overall, I'd say. Um, maybe what would not... you give it out of a, out of a 10, if you had to give it a number out of a 10 as an event, I would give it a nine. Yep. As a competitive 40k event, I'd probably give it a seven, and okay. that's and and most of that score is because the organization
0: was good rather than the actual kind of
1: format or terrain and things.
0: Yeah, I think I would probably end on. There's obviously bias here, guys, because I placed well. Uh, I would probably end it on somewhere between a seven and an eight from a competitive point of view. Mm-hmm. There were some things there were overall. I really really liked it. There were just a few tweaks that I think would make it an absolutely excellent S, S-class tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a few things that were done differently from UKTC. Uh, and then for the overall convention, I really enjoyed it because I'd never been to like a Comic-Con convention before or something. Mm-hmm. I'd love to go to a Star Trek convention, of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've never seen like the cosplayers and stuff like that. And even as someone who doesn't, you know, uh, perhaps enjoy that part of the hobby side as, as, as clearly as some people do. Um, you know, it's just really cool, isn't it? You're like, oh, that's that guy. That's who they had the um, the Dire Avenger. The Dire Avenger. Oh
1: my gosh, I I got so excited when I saw that Dire yeah. Avenger. I just ran up to her and I was just like, oh my god, you, I, I have this army. I have a Dire Avenger Exoc just like you. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah, there was a
0: there was an incubi there as well. There was really an incubi. It. We just ignored the incubi. Yeah. The Dire Avenger cooler. And uh, what was really cool, I thought, was uh, the atmosphere of the tournament was really shaded by the fact that there were regular Warhammer uh, or hobbyists that could enter the tournament, um, you know, the tournament playing table. So I don't know if you got this a lot, but I certainly had a, just a ton of people, um, you know, looking at the games, looking at the models, being like, Oh, what is that model? Look at these models and, and et cetera, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that, obviously, because we don't usually get that at a UKTC event, you know, everyone is <laughs> there to compete, you know, if you've got a standout, awesome looking model, they people will point that out. But for the large part, it felt like a lot of, um, for a Magic the Gathering reference, like a kitchen top table players who were kind of seeing competitive Warhammer for maybe their first time in a very large tournament. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, them being like, Oh, actually, people think this is really good. or That's really good. So it was cool to see those people um engaging in the tournament and hopefully they think that this is a really cool thing to do in the future and come and play the tournament scene a bit more often yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely i think
1: uh it was such a vibe and um i'm I'm hoping that everyone enjoyed it because it certainly looked like everyone did Mm -hmm. um i mean i want to just kind of like zoom in a little bit more to the competitive side of things, because I think that's what most of our listeners are kind of involved in, and kind of the pros and cons of things, you mentioned something about the terrain a little bit Mm. ago, and saying that, you know, it was really good. um, But there were potentially some tweaks that you would recommend, what was your overall take on kind of the the pros and cons of the terrain? Yeah,
0: so I think the so this is we don't play on this all. also this is the first time I think most people in the UK have ever played on this terrain mm-hmm. physically in person right mm-hmm. uh so our will take on it was a little bit different and naturally speaking the terrain that we normally play on some concepts translate over to this terrain and miss the mark in some you know in some way right so the meta than stuff that was brain we can't say as ex- was ultimately as optimal as possible but I think we had a really good take on it anyway that's my point the mm-hmm. terrain so i so what happened guys is they split the tournament up into day one terrain format day two terrain format and day three terrain format now day two and three are the same table layouts day one had a different layout now did the day one layout wasn't good i don't think it wasn't yeah. it wasn't what any competitive player i think would go up and stand and put their hand up and say this is a great map layout for interesting dynamic games and primarily that's because you have too much line of sight into your opponent's deployment zone. That would be the biggest um, thing to improve for that terrain layout, in my opinion. I don't know what you do. You, is that the oh, biggest thing for that map layout I, for you? I think that is it's completely um, like
1: unplayable that day mm, one yeah. terrain format. I, th- when people think about the layouts, they probably think about layout two, which was the day the, the main one that we used for day yeah. two and three. But this layout that we used for day one, which was for hammer and so long ways and diagonals missions. Um, and I think they've introduced it to try and mix up the format. Mm-hmm. But it's designed so poorly to the point that you can't hide your army at all without mm. being in the open. Um, and I walked past so many people, and I was like, Oh, how'd your game go? Uh, and I think it was Mike Costello who just went, I played Tau,
0: this terrain, he went first. <laughs> and yeah. it's it, that that exact game was, uh, yeah. that was round three, and he played against Carl Grundy, and I was it's right on the table a perfect example. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the problem with that layout is that you without moving without even having a fast moving shooting platform, you were able to see into your opponent's deployment zone. Mm-hmm. And that was that was detrimental to a lot of people. And this is a really good example I think of one of the parts of the tournaments that if they just tweaked a little bit would cover a huge blank spot like let's say Vic if that terrain layout was as good as this day two like would Mm -hmm. your rating of the tournament go up from seven instantly up to an eight more or less
1: yeah I think the the layout too, from a competitive standpoint is actually pretty good yeah um and I think the discrepancy between how good the first layout and the second layout is, is absolutely huge. Mm. And I, I think I would agree it would be a bit boring, I think, mm-hmm. potentially, because it's it's literally the same terrain every game. And the terrain does have a risk of being very passive and stagey. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I think potentially over across nine rounds, you would probably get really sick of it and want to play something else. Mm-hmm. But from a competitive point of view, yeah, layout two is is solid, mm-hmm. uh, and the first layout is just unplayable in my opinion. So if they
0: were able to if they were able to solve some of the core issues with la- with the first day day one layout, you think that that would vastly improve the overall experience?
1: I think the problem is the the main layout is set up to work on every single terrain. Uh, every single mission, uh, mm. ex- except for uh, no, every it is every single mission. It can be played on long ways, short ways um, right. and diagonal. So I think they've perfected this one layout and they're trying to change the perfect, essentially perfect layout mm. to something else which will always be worse mm. than the
0: main layout. Um, so but- perhaps they need to move to just having like three layouts for three different mission types for example that doesn't seem too hard to achieve as well
1: yeah the problem is they're limited by their type of terrain that they're using mm. which are these perspex squares with little ruined walls around them mm-hmm. and i personally think the variation could be changing um the amount of coverage of ruined walls mm-hmm. um and also the slight position of the perspex squares but i think it, it, they are a little bit locked in where they can put those perfect squares and you see that with layout one where in your deployment zone you only have a single ruin, mm. a single big uh, U-shaped ruin. And that is the fundamental problem of everything. Having mm. just one of those in your deployment zone in uh, in these missions means that you can't really hide your army at all. You need two, which is what happens on the
0: main layout. Mm. So it's... um so these these are kind of some of the big questions that that we had going into the tournament right was where what missions will we be playing what terrain layouts will we be playing what where will the ruins be placed on the terrain that was a big uh thing that we discovered when we got there that they will be pushed right to the front Mm -hmm. which was good for some layouts but very poor for for others so Mm -hmm. on this layout that we talked about the poor one if, if those ruin walls were back further through the halfway point of the home objective deployment perspex plate that would have changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what was what was your strategy going into the tournament with so many variables, Vic, in terms of your army list submission?
1: Well, I'm going to start off with the tongue-in-cheek strategy, because I think <laughs> this this was an issue that we highlighted last time, is that there's no fixed measurements for the ruins. Mm. And one thing that I saw, I'm not going to name any names at all here. Um, but I'm going to say that if you moved your ruins a little bit, especially the ones Mm -hmm. in the middle, you blocked off line of sight, anything like that created more space to tuck a tank in behind your big pieces. And then your opponent called a judge, the judge will be completely fine with the final position of the ruins. Mm -hmm. And that is not policeable at all. And I think it has such drastic effects on the outcome of games that. Uh, This terrain format would be significantly better with fixed positions of the actual large uh, perspex squares Mm -hmm. and the little perspex squares in the middle. Mm -hmm. The ruin wall placement, actually, I felt like that can just be thrown anywhere uh, because it's very easy for players just to put that along the edge and it's Mm -hmm. fine. Uh, But the actual big perspex squares, especially the ones in the middle, can completely block out the center of the board and create Mm -hmm. a passive game. Or if you just push them further apart, you can see right down the middle of the board.
0: Yeah. And that, that one little piece right there was quite inconsistent in both the judge's opinion of it and what the official stance stance was. So Mm -hmm. that would be the second most dramatic improvement I think they could make. And that's very simple to implement. You simply just say, there has to be a line down the middle of the board, right through the middle objective, uh, parallel to the long board edge. It's very easy to implement, very easy for a lot of players to understand. And that will just clarify a lot, anything that could happen as well. That's
1: true, I love that solution because the the reason why they don't have fixed measurements is to stop people practicing and perfectly getting their strategies down Mm. and knowing, you know, if I have 24 inches of range, I can exactly reach the corner of this ruin. But your solution with some descriptive kind of factors on the main things, Mm -hmm. like that there must be enough space, like, uh, for, you know, a knight to go around the ruin or something like that, you know, Mm -hmm. more, more kind of just uh, subjectively descriptive things Mm -hmm. uh, would make a huge difference, I think. Yeah,
0: for sure. Uh, What I would say is that there there were a lot of memes and uh, myself, in fact, saying that, you know, how are they how they with no measurements, how are they going to enforce the terrain, etc. But what I would say is that um, the judging team would go through every single table between mm. the rounds and f- and re uh, readjust the terrain. I say readjust, but they do have the measurements, so there is mm. a way which they oh uh, they have measurements. The I didn't realize that there is a sink. There is another the side the small side piece. They actually use that to measure inwards for the big placement of the ruins. Okay. so they That's would fine, actually then. go and reset every single table um, throughout the rounds. Uh, however, there were still. In- however, there is no exact measurement for the middle ruin. So- oh, that, that that's the key one, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so that was the most eyeballed one, and uh, which which you know is is quite deterministic about how a game may or may not play out. So right, okay, yes, but I you know I think overall the judging was uh, good. You know we. Um, the head judge was great as well. Actually. Yes, the, yeah, big shout. So, yeah, big shout Just out to the, the head Curtis. judge, uh, yeah. Justin, mm-hmm. who uh, officiated. Um, I think two, well, two of my stream games, and then helped me out with uh, a few of other games. There was also another UK judge there who oh, I am going to forget your name. Sorry, mate. um Who was there as well? He goes to uk UKTC tournaments. He was a super nice guy as well. Uh, he helped me out with a couple of questions as well. So um that was great to see and for the first time the rules team i think were actually um actively judging as well so the people that write the rules for the game were out in the wild and seeing how the rules were being used uh and interpreted which i think is overall a really positive thing for the game development right it's good to see people that are very close to the game um enjoying you know the the tournament scene and and seeing how that things could actually play out right yeah, I think so. I think that was uh, that was a big part of it. You know, the guy who checked me in
1: was part of the development team. And he just mm-hmm. asked, what's my opinion on things? And that kind of interaction is,
0: um, is going to be really beneficial, I hope. Okay, I've got another interesting point. So mm-hmm. something that came up very often was the use of a clock, or the absence of a use of a clock. Mm-hmm. Now, this came up, I would say almost every round. And mm-hmm. what we mean by that is that No clocks were enforced or used. You could only use a clock if both your opponents um, actually decided to use one. And what this meant is that a lot of the games didn't reach their natural, well, a lot of the games didn't meet their natural conclusion under the predetermined time for the round within the tournament. Now, there's a bit of a domino effect there because some of the rounds were starting a bit later considering the fact that players have to pack up their armies, move to the table, explain their armies, et cetera, et cetera. We usually have, I think, 15 minutes for that at UKTC. Mm -hmm. And some of the rounds here were starting on the round timer when the pairings were up. So, you know, clearly that eats into a significant part of the round timer. But what what happened quite often is that if a game was running close to overtime, uh, a judge would be um, called to the table and would officiate the game um past the actual round timer so Mm -hmm. they would go okay we're going to play the next 20 minutes we're going to split the clock 10 minutes for you 10 minutes for you if the game still hasn't been decided by that point we will discuss turn five through the judge's eyes um there are now I don't think using I think the absence of chess clocks is a negative thing in my opinion I think that's the only fair way to ensure that both players get to use the same amount of time and that's a really critical thing about tournament play. However, on the other side, I think given the absence of chess clocks and that's their decision, the way that they did it, I thought was actually quite well done. Yeah, I... Uh, and I didn't, I didn't see many uh, arguments or things like that um, erupting from their kind of ultimately sp- kind of subjective um, interpretation or things like that, right?
1: I think the big advantage is in the UK, we're very used to playing with chess clocks Mm. um, or at least playing two time on rounds because, you know, it's hard dice down usually at the Mm. events that we play on. Um, So a lot of people were able to just kind of play naturally. And if the game is going too slow, you feel it and you just kind of speed up even without the clock and then to have this backup thing where there was some really interesting tight games going mm, on and then and then those were able to actually be, be played out the last mm. few turns even though mm. time had run out yep. and i saw the judges were there and they would be like look you guys uh, the the round is ending and you guys have nine minutes each on this clock mm-hmm. and you can't go beyond it. and they would actively manage the clock yep the big thing i noticed was this only happened kind of like one or two at most games per round mm. so it was actually a very small proportion where it actually happened and they were able to manage
0: it yeah and oftentimes it was justin the judge uh managing those games um and he he, he, he was managing the crowd of people that were watching really well as well you know he'd tell look guys you need to go away we're trying to get this game done uh etc cetera, etc cetera as well the only small criticism i would have is sometimes a judge would be actively what, what they would call actively judging in air quotes mm-hmm. the game uh, before the round timer has done and i i heard a few people say that that actually slowed the game down because i think some of the judges here don't necessarily appreciate how well everyone in the uk knows each other mm-hmm. and those players might be you know this might have been the 15th time they've played together right and they're going oh yeah just move this guy here move this guy here and the judge might go you know that's not done properly that's not done properly Um, but the reality is is that they they really know each other super well and Mm -hmm. they're just playing the game in abstraction right Mm -hmm. Um, so that would be the only thing I'd say but there's pros and cons to both of those situations ultimately I would love to see them move to a chess clock uh, Mm -hmm. because chess clocks I think are extremely important in the community and Warhammer is essentially a game of chess in that the more time you take the more opportunity you have to play better and if the if the time is not shared if the time is shared between two people and one player takes a significantly longer part of the time then they're effectively advantaged to make better decisions because they have more time to think
1: about so it. so my suggestion would be kind of like a compromise like what you you suggested with the terrain positioning and i would say that on day two um anyone who's undefeated should have the option to play on a chess clock so should be able if one player says i would like to play on a chess clock for this game and enforce chess clock rules they should have that option so it only impacts just the the you know the most competitive players in the event Mm -hmm. and the less competitive players and the people who are you know more chilled out about the outcome of games um they can have a more relaxed environment which which was
0: uh, quite successful by not using chess clocks to be honest yeah yeah, exactly. And that's a beautiful solution. Actually, you just say anyone in the top 16 can request a thing or the top 16 or the bracket below it, for example, right? And mm-hmm. that would be a good compromise to both people, perhaps. So yeah, yeah. I think the, the the broad takeaway is that actually it was, was ran really well. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, shout out to Mike and the team there. I think one of my critiques may be that there was a dissemination of information around mm. how the tournament would be run. Um, you know, I'm Okay, what I would say, the tournament was run very well, and the team of judges was run very well. But I don't think it's um, professional's not the right word, but I don't think it's um, appropriate to discuss, the, you know, very important parts of the tournament in, in non-public ways. Um, and there is, um, you know, there's been kind of messages and messenger groups, photos shared around of, you know, potentially people who are involved in the tournament saying, oh yeah, this was, this will be this, this will be that. And um, we don't get that with the UKTC Zach is very clear on having either all the information um, upfront, or none, or no one gets the information like even we know Zach very well, but we don't get anything at all. He's a very hard policy on that. I think that's a, that's a positive avenue to move the development um, in there as well. Right?
1: Yeah, I have one final question on this topic before we move on to your uh, for, to our kind of tournament. And I would ask you what terrain format do you think is you know is better or what do you prefer between gw and uktc see how i'm asking this question to be on the safe side of it oh, uh, so
0: yes dave so what do you think i think that okay i think that for replayability and planning and ultimate competitiveness uktc is better but i think that for the quality of games that get produced that the layout for day 2 and 3 is actually better than uktc in my opinion, I in think the game creating tight games. Yes, I, I think that's true. And I think that's been evidenced by the games that we saw in the top 16. And I think that's also evidenced in the dynamism of the lists that were brought in the top 16 that were allowed to bubble through to the top 16. So I think the stats are undeniable. If you look at the meta diversity in the top 16 from that, which is largely born out of players making decisions around that um, you know heavy terrain board, I think it's pretty clear cut that that um is, is a successful recipe what do you think you have to answer as well <laughs> i
1: i would make a counterpoint to your final point here i think that where the meta is currently following this balanced data slate is actually relatively healthy and mm-hmm. i think any major tournament would probably have a healthy meta diversity here mm. um but And on top of that, another part of why we see this diversity is probably because none of us know what we're doing with GW train. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're all kind of going in with our own creative ideas. And when you have a new thing, people always come up with creative solutions to it, Mm -hmm. which because we have no kind of data to fall back on. So uh, I think that's one side of it in terms of answering the question that I asked you, I would say that in terms of creating engaging competitive games, I think the UKTC and also the W, I I consider UKTC and WTC quite similar. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say both of those are much better competitive terrain formats. Mm -hmm. The games are really exciting and they're not just purely mathematically strategized out which is which is what i think can happen on the gw terrain. uh you can kind of map out your score especially if you have slightly passive secondaries and be like okay so my only win condition in this game is to take away this objective for one turn uh so i'm not going to do anything else except just aim to get that and win the game at the end Mm -hmm. um that's my take i would prefer to see UKTC be the absolute main way that we play games here, but I mm.
0: love that we have GW as an alternative now. Yeah. So, oh man, so many, so much stuff to unpack there. <laughs> is that based on the base? Is that based on the poor map terrain and the good map terrain? Because mine was solely based on the good map terrain. Yeah, I'm
1: only, con- I'm just ignoring that the bad one okay. uh, exists because just based on the good one, the the
0: you know the relatively good one. Mm. I think you're you're also right in so many ways. Is that uh, the people that understood the way that the games flow on those terrain, I think, have been the most successful at this tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I I, I found that throughout the day, I kind of understood how a lot of the games would flow, even on those very dense boards. Uh, so I think it's very easy to, to see in the future that actually once people map out and play on these terrains a lot more, that, you know, perhaps the meta would just tighten up a lot and we would become a lot more um granite like the uk tc meter is really isn't it mm-hmm. yeah which is yeah. great that's uh that's the uh Weimar fist tournament from a from a competitive perspective i guess so i guess next part we'll cut to some music and uh we'll be chatting about i guess <laughs> my run i suppose and that's it <laughs> sounds good we'll see you guys in a bit so we're back at it now we had of the team coming we had Jockwell Johansson playing Death Watch which I was very close to submitting as Mm -hmm, well I think mm -hmm. Death Watch are a really fun army uh and going X and one so went eight and one with Death Watch really good Mm -hmm. uh Vic you played Aldari the same list as Brian who Mm -hmm. went uh X and two so seven and two uh and Christopher Radford uh went six and three uh as well with Space Wolf so uh, you know from our team apart from your elf lovers, uh, you know, we had a really diverse, you know, f- four different um, factions within mm-hmm. our, us five. But why don't you run us through where your list eventually ended up landed, Vic, and why it kind of, can we, give me two or three of the really decision points that you and Brian were going through at the end. Yeah,
1: I mean, um, me and me and Brian were just tweaking the last little bits of, of this kind of list. And um, this list first came into kind of fruition via Liam VSL, playing Swiss Strikes quite successfully in team tournaments. And Liam is one of our, our teammates uh, in Ignite. Um, so we took his concept along with some of the concepts that I'd, I'd been developing uh, with the kind of ignore cover and re a wound kind of mashed everything together and ended up with this uh, kind of swift strikes, ignore cover list that we felt would be very effective on the GW terrain format. Hmm. Um, Ultimately, between the testing and the little tweaks, I think we, we optimized it pretty well. Um, the list felt incredibly good on this terrain and incredibly good in this meta. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of narrowed it down to only Chaos Knights being a potentially bad matchup, like a mm-hmm. straight up bad matchup. And yeah. um, there's a game into everything else, along with good games into the majority of the factions in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, In this, we kind of assume that not many people will be bringing a high quantity of vehicles. So Mm -hmm. we were able to kind of tweak into kind of more of the anti-infantry stuff and anti-Marine stuff. Um, and we ended up with a list which looks kind of similar to what a lot of you guys are, uh, are seeing with Eldar. Uh, it's an Eldari list, so it's Harlequins plus Eldar. And we just had uh, kind of the usual Farsier Skyrunner with all the Mortal Wounds, Baharoth. Um, and then we had no rangers in this list. We had five striking scorpions, five warp spiders, two units of shroud runners, um, a night spinner, and a couple of single D cannons, uh, along with a single Viper. And then we had the Harlequin Detachment with the Shadow seer Death Jester, um, a Solitaire, which is great on GW terrain. Two units mm. of troops and a Star Weaver, along with two Sky Weavers with Haywire, just as a tech choice in case we do hit a single big vehicle like uh, like Dave was running.
0: Yeah. Um, what was the what was the best performer and what was the worst
1: performer? Uh, so the the syne- overall synergy of the list is extremely good. Mm. So it's very hard to pick out one unit that's the best. You could probably just go for the best unit in the codex, which is Baharat. Yeah, uh, Just every single game, he's fundamental to the way that you can find a path to victory. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of worst, I mean, I think Brian had a little bit more success with the solitaire than I did. Mm. Um, the, the solitaire, in fact, there were multiple, the, the two games that I lost, uh, or the game that I drew and the game that I lost, the solitaire was a fundamental part of why that game kind of ended up being a loss or yeah. at least one part because you just want him to do something and you expect him to do something. But because the phase that he does something is the very last phase of the turn, if he doesn't do what you want him to do, it actually can create a little domino effect where things go wrong. Yeah. Um, but I've you had know. success. I've taken the solitaire to a super major before and I had a bit of success with uh, with him, but I just uh, ended up not quite
0: rolling what I needed in, in this tournament. Yeah. Did you, did you ever consider the unit of five Shroud Runners? I thought that that was a really great alpha piece to have.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because in this terrain format, sure, the Shroud Runners are good, um, but uh, they don't really do that much damage. It's more that they score points, disrupt the enemy at the same time as doing a little bit of damage. Mm. And the high volume of shots is good at picking up those little small Chaffy units. Mm. Um, so the unit of three achieves that without taking up too many points from your list to do the trade so you mm-hmm. just grab behind enemy lines ping off a character with a few mortal wounds uh, and then you wire weave and slow down another unit and then move block another unit like all of these things are great <laughs> for 90 points yeah. but once you start getting to 150 points it's a very different role that's a fire and fading kind of role yeah. and i don't think the damage output of the shroud is enough to do that and because yeah. you're doing it from the deployment zone you're only hitting targets that you are able to hit with the rest of your army anyway
0: yeah it's my take <laughs> interesting yeah that's cool yeah obviously it's uh we i thought it was the best list going into the tournament mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the most powerful one because it's secondary game on the gw boards is very good It's a lot of damage uh the two pilots uh there were three pilots playing similar this right um, playing it as well. Root, and Root, so
1: Root and robo so there's four of us actually
0: yeah so i thought the pilots on that were Going to be very successful uh, players as well. So, it's um it, that's just how the cards come down sometimes. Those. So Matt Robertson actually lost to uh team iceland prospect playing mm-hmm. as you said, chaos Knights. <laughs> yep. round one that's not what you want to see and exactly uh avenger gatling chain cannon i think it's called is uh quite good at <laughs> killing Altari. That,
1: that matchup is a straight loss and brian actually also lost to chaos knights as well mm-hmm. uh during the before the cut happened mm. um so it's it's very telling how bad that matchup is uh yeah. i did not hit chaos knights uh, I actually lost in a very um, favorable matchup against uh, Josh Roberts, who's the Team England captain. Yep. Um, uh, he was playing Space Wolves on the bad terrain format, so the day one terrain format. Mm-hmm. And I also went first. So now we're talking about a lot of things in my favor here. I've gone first on a comp- pretty much an open board um, against a profile of army, which my army is extremely good at killing. I've played Space Wolves a lot because I play against Chris a lot. And I've never lost any test game against the Space Wolves list with Eldar. <laughs> um, but on this one, it, it was it, it did teach me a lot because sometimes with Eldar, when you do an alpha strike and it doesn't go right, um, you actually have se- have put yourself in a position where you could lose the game. And mm. sure, you most almost definitely will just win the game on that turn. But I've put myself in a position to lose the game that I didn't need to. There was definitely a hundred percent success rate option for me to play this game out Mm -hmm. rather than the ninety five percent success rate option. And I hit the five percent where it goes wrong. Um, So essentially the way that this Eldar list actually, because this will be interesting for people listening, the way this Eldar list actually wins games is by moving to an area of the board, deciding what all of the units that can actually attack it are and then removing those units or neutering them. Um, and then you end up with a situation where the opponent can't really attack you and you just slowly move up the board and rinse and repeat until they run out of units and you won the game. Mm. Um, and by going first on an open board, I essentially had free reign to do this. I just moved my army to a side of the board, killed the few units that can threaten me and got myself into position. Then Josh has no choice but to just move forward with the units that can. They don't really can't really get into anything of a good position. And then comes the point where you have to kill the units that he moved forward with. Mm. And I essentially had 2000 points of my army almost shooting into this like just a couple of two characters in one squad (laughs) and somehow managing not to kill that. And I only killed three space marines with that um, from a Vanguard vet squad. And um, he just ended up hitting me with these three little characters and just spiraling everything out of control. Yeah, Um, that is rough. (laughs) This happened not just once, but also in my game against James Grover's Eldar, where I Mm. did the alpha strike. The alpha strike against other Eldar is brutal because you start controlling the primary all the way through the game as well. Um, And the same kind of thing happened where you go so far down on your damage that you're ending up just fighting such a battle of attrition that you don't want to be fighting with this list Mm -hmm. um and then in that game it's a little bit more favorable because the battle of attrition is not so scary because eldar is so squishy Mm um and you know you kind of kill each other loads um but that one had other issues you know double exploding vehicles a death jester that just you know could can roll hundred five ups, that kind of stuff <laughs> um, that ended up taking like a really comfortable 20 point win all the way to a draw yeah. uh, where I was like really scrapping for the draw at the end yeah. of the game. It's um, crazy. So, yeah, I, I had a really weird run where I learned a lot about kind of in order to win a tournament consistently um yes you're gonna you know if you play the good plays you will get there some of the time but to actually win it on a regular basis it's to see moments like this and decide actually you know what i'm not going to end this game early i'm going to play this game in the most consistent way possible Mm. where i should like i can't lose and Mm. i didn't take that option i took the option where i'm going to win in a turn and i can lose that even if it's so unlikely i can lose
0: and i did it's very uh tough to realize that in the moment though isn't it because that's how we play most of the games you want to be taking the advantage that you're given Mm -hmm. so it's to see the to see the points where it could go wrong uh is more difficult than it seems i've been stuck in the same situation as well you know uh versus Nassim, i had a game where i didn't choose to invest the cp to re-roll the wounds on my tyrant and then he couldn't jump back and then i was in Mm -hmm. a bad situation after that um so i appreciate the fact that it's very hard to see that Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when some, maybe something didn't go right or some things haven't gone right for a slew of time and then you're like oh what is going on and then you know um yeah that's tough it's a tough <laughs> run and to do well in any tournament though realistically you have to roll well you have to be getting lucky that's in a tournament this stacked you mm-hmm. have to be things have to be going your way 100%. Either that, or you just have to be doing something that no one else is doing. <laughs> um, so um, I, I did miss the top
1: 16, and then I ended up just spending the bank holiday with family. Um, yep. uh, but enough about me, Dave, and my Eldar. Uh, everyone wants to hear about what this weird and wonderful <laughs> guard list that you brought ended so well with. What, what did you bring? Oh, this list is so good, man. <laughs>
0: um, so I, we were practicing quite a bit. I was practicing the most out of the team, I think, on the mm-hmm. terrain, on TTS, right? Yeah. Uh, and just, what you know, one thing that I found was really underwhelming were the mortars, the casican the Barbican Key, born soldiers in general. I just felt like, you know, when I could see stuff, like I would be able to position where I could kill it. So, all those parts, I thought, you know what, maybe there's something, you know, maybe I should move away from that. And what I wanted to do is focus on. Uh, so, so. I ended up coming to the conclusion that I should play this list but one the two main things that got me there were actually I wanted to have a strong game plan and this is something that was really successful for me at the la at the LVI first played was like I just wanted to have a very direct game plan so my game plan was basically on day one I can't lose because I've got a rogal dawn that can move (laughs) 20 inches and shoot on basically open boards and I've got infiltrator sentinels and XYZ right so my army was extremely good on down there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was probably, like, the, one of the better ones out there. So I was feeling confident about that. But then I wanted to focus on the boards that are a lot more heavier. And the main commonality I realized when I looked at all these maps is that you could control all, if not most, of the objectives uh, behind terrain. Mm-hmm. So I thought that's very interesting. So I, I, I sort of realized if I can build a list where I can score about 85 to 87 points, uh, and not do anything, then I'm going to be in a good situation, actually, because a lot of lists with the removal of Codex Warfare do struggle to have inter- uninteractable secondaries. I think your list, Vic, the Aldari list is one of those exceptions where you've got Behind Enemy Lines, Warp Ritual, uh, like and then R&- RBD, mm-hmm. which I actually struggle to beat because those are uninteractable as well. So I can't; I have to baby be the aggressor in that matchup. So. Um I got quite lucky in that my matchups worked out where I didn't where I was the passive player. But um yeah, anyway, so for the list. So there was a list a while ago that played 18 Sentinels, and it was um Armored Superiority and Swift as the Wind. Now Armored Superiority means that all of your vehicles count uh your sentinels count as three models for the purpose of controlling the objective, and your tanks count as five models. Uh your big boys count as ten, but I didn't have any of those. Uh, And then I'm playing Swift as the Wind. So (laughs) Swift as the Wind is um, all your non-infantry gets plus two to movement and plus one to charge. And all your infantry gets plus one to move and plus one to charge. So not a very, like, common thing you would think about when you think of Guard. You know, plus one to charge. You're like, what's, you know, okay, you know, not the best. And I've complained a lot about Guard's uh, inability to have melee profiles and, you know, Rough Riders, especially with Desolation Rings.
1: So hold on a second, Dave. You've just told me... That, uh, oh, you know, Kazakin are not that good, Mortars are not that good, Barbican's Key is not that good, and now you're telling me Born Soldiers is not that good as well? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, Finial as well,
0: I didn't play the Finial. <laughs> and
1: Finial? Yeah, so
0: uh, this is like completely fresh take, and it's completely designed for the terrain, but I think it would be replicable if you played on another terrain format, perhaps. So, I'll run through the list. So, it's Armored Superiority and Swift as the Wind. Here we go. I've got Lord Sol Leontis with the 5 up gain of CP, the Grand Strategist. Now, here's the spice. I've got one KD command squad with the Ogrin, the two-up base save. He's got the chainsword, and he's got the chainsword relic. It's the legacy of a Quillian or something like that, which is an extra three attacks at damage two. All right, Uh, and then I've also got the (laughs) I've got the warlord trait for exploding sixes in combat. Have two additional hits. And plus one to wound, this so the, co-
1: the commander in the squad, right? This is
0: only the commander, nice. <laughs> so, basically, a relic and a warlord trait you will never <laughs> ever see. <laughs> I was playing that, but you know, it doesn't stop there. I was playing a second command squad with uh, the exact same loadout, but there's another melee relic you can take. It's the power sword relic, which is the claws of the desert. Oh, target, this is amazing, <laughs> which is plus two attacks, plus two strength, negative three AP damage. two So, I had two commanders, one commander in each squad, which had relic upgrade weapons, um, and then the other one had the warlord trait that Iron Hand Strykin usually takes for the double sixes. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, those were phenomenal, um, and I'll go into those in a bit. Then, I had 40 troop. So, I think 40 is a really good number, uh, especially if you play, what I'm playing, two chimeras. So, two chimeras means you can start 20 in reserve, 20 in the chimeras, and you're really good there. So I have two Chimeras with all the Flamers. Uh, then I've got three Armored Sentinels, and then three Armored Sentinels, and I've got three Scout Sentinels. So they all have the Plasma and the chainsword, apart from one Armored Sentinel that I couldn't find the points for. Then, <laughs> then we got Mr. Rogel. Uh, now, the Rogel Dawn was exceptional for me all tournament, I would say. Uh, it's now that the guards have been nerfed, in terms of the Cassican and the Finial, I do think the Rogel Dawn has certainly become a lot better. Uh, For UKTC, we'll have to test how it pans out. But for this format, this terrain format, it was beautiful. You can tag into the ruins because they're big perspex. You can tag just the side of them and you can see at really wide angles. And one thing that Anthony Vanella said to me uh, was that on the GW terrain, if you have 24-inch range guns, that might as well be like 48-inch range because the chances are you're going to be quite close when you shoot people. And I thought, mm-hmm. that's great. So I took all the multi-melters on the uh, Rogal Dawn, which was a pro tip from the Polish people uh, via Brian. And then I had the uh, uh, the, the big uh, the big turret for the flat floor damage. And then I had the two melter guns. And then I had the upgrade uh, Knight of Piety, I think it's called, which is the five-up invulnerable save and the five-up Fiona no Pain against Mortal Wounds uh, for 25 points, I think. And that's it's worth it. I think that's you that want to clutch. go for that one. Because I think Zeldari, for example, it's very hard for you to take it down um in the psychic phase and if you do die in the psychic phase you can't shoot on death so something I was very acutely aware of there mm-hmm. nice. so the <laughs> Rogaldorn dawn was absolutely fantastic I don't think I've forgotten anything this time oh I have forgotten something 30 scions uh not in the patrol <laughs> just straight up elites I was there two plasma each two hotshot volley guns each uh the plasma pistol and the boxcaster uh they were absolutely incredible for me the whole tournament and that was kind of my last minute swap for the kassagon so um actually Nassim and i were talking and he was like why are you playing castigan especially if i wasn't playing born soldiers he said you know you should just play Sirens because they can naturally deep strike and they don't get the regimental buff of swift as the wind and um armored superiority but hey that doesn't matter because they get a much better one exploding sixes to hit uh for nice. the whole unit which is as i'll explain very very good uh so they were fantastic and then the crown jewel of it all Do you know who i've forgotten i know who it is a crown jewel my man my main boy it's a vicious trap coming up here who <laughs> <laughs> sly Marbo, that's right boys Slime Marbo's back i played him at the team tournament i wasn't impressed but sly Marbo was very good for me this whole tournament he wasn't good at killing stuff but he was a great secondary uh secondary get it so what would happen is that this list is fundamentally designed in two really strong ways it has great primary play because you can zoom your chimera you can order it to move 16 base and then you can um, move it d6 plus so up to 22 inches and it counts as five models otherwise you can move it up to 20 inches and it counts as five obsec models and then it can carry 10 guardsmen so a couple of my games i just re- i won by just moving my chimera or i would get out my guardsmen advance them onto objectives move the chimera and then i would tag both of their objectives and obsect them off them and boom you got no primary so that was already really good uh, and then the scout sentinels were incredible because if I infiltrated them, my opponents were really worried about me alpha striking them, especially with the rogue dawn that I just deployed on the line and said, well, you know, well, I can move 20 inches and shoot you. <laughs> so between those two very aggressive elements, potentially people were very worried and that forced them to deploy defensively and rightly so, but where this all comes into glory is that, uh, and I said this too, at the tournament, didn't I, is that, um, on day two and three, I'm just going to enter into my castle, uh, which is that my realistic game plan was actually most people would take bring it down against me and they would have to take in the meta right now. The secondaries aren't as automatically 15 and whereas I've got very good secondaries, So actually, most armies are going to have to come and pressure me. So I thought, David, if I just enter into the castle, I hold eight primary every turn. I get the tertiary for more primary. Then my secondaries are 15 on inflexible. 10 to 12 on boots because of my list design and then um banners for either 8 to 10 or r d for 8 to 10. and lo and behold that gets me a grand total of <laughs> i should i was on top man about 4 7 11 about 85 to 88 points per game nice. which is quite high in very competitive games especially on a passive game that's exactly very and that's me i i could literally sit back and do nothing mm-hmm. so what um maybe we should go through uh my day one my day one i played two new players for the first two rounds and then i ran in and then i ran into um uh andy Borman. Well, i haven't played yet but we've um seen each other at tournaments lots he was playing as gray knights with 30 um interceptors and four dread knights we played on the open mission i went first i could shoot his deployment (laughs) zone uh i think i killed four strike squads uh four interceptor squads whilst being an inch above my line and it was more or less game from there. So <laughs> Brutal. Yep, I ordered my Sentinels for Max Blast against uh, units, and I got nine shots each. And then, uh, yeah, that was pretty brutal. Ouch. Okay, lovely. Yeah. Uh, then round four, I played a really interesting game, I believe, against a gentleman called Chiro, who was... Oh, no, round four, I played against Taff from Bad Moon Cafe with oh, his yes. Raven Guard, which was going to be an interesting game, but I fortunately went uh, went first. and. If you've played against Raven Guard before, you know that they have uh, a very first-orientated game plan. Mm-hmm. So that game was more or less me playing very cagey, making sure Taff couldn't break any of my secondaries, and it was you know very clear I was going to go for a win in that case. Then, uh, round five, I played a, a young Italian man called Chiro, who mm-hmm. was playing Imperial Knights Freeblade Lance. Now, I'm lucky enough to know quite a lot of the rules on this army, and this was definitely an interesting game because there were some nuances with the terrain where... I didn't appreciate the fact that if you're on the terrain, a big knight can actually see over the, the top of the terrain and into oh, your block. So no way. Okay. yeah. So that actually caught me out a few times. He said, Well, I can see your rogue Dawn because my knight's high. Um, and I was like, Oh, yep, that's a mistake. <laughs> so <laughs> I learned that one once, uh, and then I kind of considered it after that. But mm-hmm. the night matchup was uh, very good for me. I this is a matchup where the scions are just incredible. So most of the game I would I would reserve all 30 scions, unless it was a slow army then I could start one on the board and 4 rerolls to hit and wound it but mm-hmm. the scions from deep strike were just absolutely phenomenal they come down they you, they're very easy to get in full re, um to get reroll ones to hit and wound of Leontis which is critical of course mm-hmm. uh and then you can come down plasma shot you know four plasma shots re-rolling ones to hit is often like five hits mm-hmm. so then you're wounding on threes or twos re-rolling ones so the plasma is fantastic, and then I was actually using the nerfed stratagem uh, for the six mortal wounds on them. I would just directly point them at one unit, and you know maybe get four mortal wounds or five mortal wounds, but that turns those hotshot las pistols and whatnot into um, actual damage. So nice. they were fantastic, and the deep strike was so much easier to mm-hmm. play with boots on the ground than strategic reserves, like I would have had to do with Cassikin. So they were strictly there; they were incredible. Um, I think against the night player, I. I got seven plasma shots from my uh, science product <laughs> I <laughs> bet you love that three sixes <laughs> oh, absolutely brutal yeah um so they were outstanding and then uh it was on to round 5 so uh, sorry round 6 now, round six around,
1: was... Round uh, six, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, round six, I uh, that was a cut to the top 16. So, now so... you're
1: yeah, through. You're into the top 16 here.
0: Yeah. And the top 16 is absolutely stacked, by the way. So, yep. uh, uh, lots of people, all like WTC top teams, best players in the world uh, in there. Uh, so, round one, uh, Nathan Roberts, who is an extremely lovely person. We've never played before, but I've seen oh, him around he's the so tournaments nice. a lot. Um, super nice guy, man. He was playing a very funky Chaos Knight list where they all had different different upgrades and stuff and he's the type of person where I just said to him Nathan if you don't mind like I'm not gonna read all this stuff can you just tell me if I'm gonna get if I'm gonna get royally fucked here by doing something wrong and he's like yeah I'll let you know it's fine so I was like thank you very much um uh, so super lovely guy he deployed everything on the line and went first so I was like wow okay oh, that's uh, that's interesting but he might have had a chance of winning this but mm. armor superiority means that his pri- his game plan is a lot more difficult to execute. Mm. It's very, very hard for him to knock me down on the primary because what I would commonly have is my Chimera plus some dudes an inch off the wall of the whole Ruin so mm. that my, I was, my Ruin was very hard to charge because of the distance required. And then my Chimera and my guys can't I mean I have like eight obsec models on the objective. So a lot of the way that Knights will play is I'll put a guy on there, five models, obsec you, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Which is a really powerful way to play. So he couldn't break me like that. And <laughs> this is a game where the Rogal Dawn absolutely shine. Uh, it killed five knights this game, or oh. well, it brought one down to one, but it killed four knights and brought a knight down to a wound. So I played it quite cagey. And uh, with turn one, I just shot a knight that was going to die already. But turn two, I gave it the four rolls to hit order, advance and charge, uh, advance and shoot. Zoomed it into the middle ruin, melted all melters at one knight, everything everything else at another night, boom, KO'd, killed two knights, nice. and then on his turn he had to charge, because, I mean, he's not going to shoot it to death, he had to charge it, overwatch with 4 rerolls to hit, three melter wounds, <laughs> three <laughs> melter hits, and then, uh, bring the Slanesh down, uh, knight down to one wound, he killed it in combat, and then I shot with my, um, oppressor cannon, uh, and then killed one of his armages from full with my flat damage floor press again. Beautiful. <laughs> oh man, it was just like we drew it up. Yeah, it was uh it was brutal. Nathan and I were both laughing at that. I mean, what you're gonna do at that point, right? <laughs> um yeah then the Scion's were just fantastic there. Like Chaos Knights, they don't really have access to minus one damage, like Imperial Knights do. So the plasma just goes off really hot there as well. Uh and then yeah the command squad managed to wrap up a um wrap up a unit. Uh, a little um a knight wrap it up in the bottom of the board and then uh kill it and then advance on as well so I that that was the most successful command squad attack I had where I dealt 10 damage to a knight. Oh, I was like you know that's lovely. great you know strength four plus one to wound wound on fours but I also had four sixes to hit so I had like 11 12 hits or something like that <laughs> What uh, a good list, man! This uh, list is awesome. Was, Gosh, t- it's quite everything. If you can't tell, I was super like. Trust me, the whole tournament I was buzzing. I was like, dude, this list is so much fun. Like, you just need like
1: a Psyker or something, you know? You need that. Li- uh, uh, oh, it's can't so have fun. it all. Can't have it all. I know. Yeah, well, I could. So- well, I could, but I, I couldn't have the points to put the Psyker in the command squad. Mm-hmm. So so you are now six and zero,
0: oh, and you're through to this is quarterfinals now. Yeah. So we're in the top eight. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't really that know if it was top- win path or something yeah. like that, mm-hmm. but. Um, my, my run wasn't getting any easier. Oh, no. It's only uh, tough games from here. Only tough games from here. So I've just beaten Nathan Roberts. I peer straight into his brother, Josh Roberts, uh, on the scouring. Uh, okay. Which, you know, if I'm being honest, I said to Josh before, and I was like, and I said to Chris at dinner, I said, uh, our teammate Chris, I was like, Chris, I, I'm pretty sure I don't want to play the Space Wolves on the scouring. Like That's probably one of my worst submissions. But here's where the game plan just really came <laughs> into ownership, right? Castle. I just, uh, Josh had to take, so I knew, so luckily enough, Chris, um, we only get the pairings in the morning, so we don't know it overnight. And Chris, uh, as soon as I got the pairing, I just, I went to Chris and I said, tell me about all the stratagems and everything you would do against me. And he just gives me the full rundown. I'm like, Mm -hmm. fantastic. Now, what I realized about this game is that, A, Josh had to take, uh, bring it down in warrior pride or, you know, and those moments. And those are two aggressive secondaries. He fundamentally needs to come at me and kill me. And with Space Wolves, the majority way that you do that is in combat, right? Mm -hmm. So what I knew about this board is that you could hold both of these objectives from within your ruin, which was obviously great for me because I put my Chimera there. And then I have obsec models and it's very hard to push me on the primary. And essentially, uh, Josh has to stage into the middle of the board. And then um, I have to, you know, either make the choice of just staying still and then hoping that he can't break my castle or there's a better way to play it actually which is what i did was i positioned a lot of my key units around the top end of the board and i positioned my Rogel very carefully so it could um move and see a very specific angle here so what i did was i positioned around the top side of the board where i could eventually advance and shoot and get an angled into the staging ruins Now this sounds very you know straightforward (laughs) now that i say it but (laughs) um but I used all all those components, shot down the middle of the board, and then I would also have the command squad come out from my central ruin with the 7-inch move and plus 1 fixed bayonets for plus 1 to hit, plus 1 AP, and they would charge into the middle objective and clean up anything that I couldn't really get. And even if they didn't kill the whole squad, the Ogren could oftentimes just tank a bunch of damage and gob stuff up in combat. So that's what I did, and you know, with some clever move blocking with guardsmen and whatnot like that, and scions that would come down and shoot into those, um, staging, um, positions, I was able to move block a lot of the board and then clear off a lot of the staging. And after that, Josh, Josh, um, tried to make a deep strike charge, which I failed to screen, which was uh, an error on my behalf. But, um, even then he still couldn't with that, break my primary. Mm -hmm. So after that, we, we kind of just talked it out and said, look, you know, I mean, realistically, what, what can we do here? uh well what can Josh do here he can come out and try and stage another turn but my board position is even better than it was before and I've got another command squad and Leontis ready to go 14 inches and get into combat here so based on the secondaries it was uh, it was all she wrote on that one and nice. the great synergy here also is that the command squad it naturally wants to move into the middle of the board because you don't care if you lose it in this list whereas if you have the finial you're like oh you know if I lose my finial I lose lots of uh, output and etc mine I could just chuck away I just oh you jump into the middle of the board you know kill some stuff in combat maybe and then get me a boots on the ground point for the middle objective and every single point that I could get boots on the ground if I could get one more point every game if it could be a a, an 11 or a 12 instead of a 10 that was that was my 85 becoming an 86 and 87. Mm -hmm. that was one more vehicle or something that my opponent had to kill so they not only had to kill the command squad but then they had to kill another vehicle as well so yeah the command squads were um fantastico in that one Slime mabo uh i think he did vicious trap something on this mission um but yeah he was uh sly mabo is obviously great guys because he's untargetable but he gets your boots on the ground so even against desolation marines like in this list even if i have all my guardsmen get shot off the board i can still get boots on the ground um, as well and it's very rare that desolation marines can shoot off all your guardsmen by the way Cause it's only 36 inch ranging. You can deploy them right at the back of the board and, and et cetera, like that. So I was throwing away resources left, right and center to make sure my opponent couldn't get their secondaries, but I could still get mine. Lovely. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So then we're on to the top four. Now the top four, I mean, well, I guess I had a pretty rough run here. I had Nathan Roberts, Josh Roberts, both team England, uh, <laughs> round four. managing. here team. we go. <laughs> so this mission, everything goes my wrong way manny gets to move the objective which means that he could take stubborn defiance Mm -hmm. which means that it's going to be a very tough game for me Mm -hmm. many uh there was um he also had he had an interesting list and i think a lot of people thought this list was very bad but it was actually it was a very cleverly designed yes this list was actually very good when you think Uh, about mm -hmm. it because all he's taken um basically know, for all intents and purposes 45 dark angel terminators or or whatever the number was right Mm -hmm. and he's gone for exploding sixes to hit in combat uh generate an additional attack and then he's gone for mini transhuman Mm -hmm. and in reality mini transhuman is just a just minus one to wound you're just losing minus one to wound compared to transhuman Mm -hmm. which is obviously you know good but um you're gaining a lot of damage in melee and he's gone for two psykers here and what is what I think his game plan was for many games was to move both of his psychers into the second he had one psycho just inquisitor go and do warp ritual and then wrap his other psycho and his whole army to do mm-hmm. warp ritual for one turn and then have his whole army wrap the cycle and do warp ritual again and get over the moments as well yeah so the list was actually deceptively good it was quite well designed for the terrain mm-hmm. now yeah. there was one critical part of this um game where we had a disagreement about um moving etc uh, the judge ended up siding with me, uh, and then what ended up happening is that I was able to shoot into a lot of units in the middle of the battlefield. And then from that, I was able to basically wipe out a lot of the resources that Manny had to the point where I was going to deny his primary, even though he went second um, on the uh, mission where you can hold, um, what's the mission? Secure missing artifacts. Um, so that was, the, that was the, the win for me there. The command scores were great in that game. Scions were very good in that game. Um, that was going to be a very high scoring game for both of us as well. Um, mm-hmm. so I managed to very luckily get the, get the W on that one as well in there. So yeah, that one's on stream as well, actually, if mm-hmm. people wanted to see, uh, how that played
1: out, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, because we don't get player mics, so we can't hear anything, but from how it looked for me, it looked like Manny was kind of locked out of the game almost, mm-hmm. um, because in order for him to actually play the game, he would have to come out. Yeah. Um. And, you know, the the way that these slow moving melee armies come out often is trying to make a charge into something that you put in front of them and ideally, if possible, kind of wrap it and try and uh, lock yourself in combat so you don't get shot by the shooting army. If that doesn't go to plan, this is exactly what happens. And, and Manny mm-hmm. ends up kind of failing a wrap and losing, you know, the army
0: that he's put in in the middle of the board yeah exactly and whilst I'm, I'm not playing born soldiers my army still does have a lot of output mm-hmm. especially when i can start the scions on the board and stage them slowly i can put the four rolls to hit and, and wound on them and then they're very powerful like that because then you take aim them they hit on twos of four re-rolls and i don't know if this is mathematically correct but i just rerolled everything that wasn't a six and <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> tried, to get, do that. tried to get a lot of shots <laughs> well there's another order where you can get Heavy three instead of rapid one, so you get more shots, but you're gonna be hitting on fours with four re-rolls, which only is only a seventy five percent success chance. Um, but I want to see those sixes anyway, so <laughs> right. um, yeah, so they were very good that game as well. Slime Arbo managed to get in there, cut some things up as well, I think.
1: I think uh, this game was really fascinating to watch, but actually it was your next game against uh in the finals. Mm. That was extremely exciting to watch, yeah. uh, which was against Ennis uh, Wilson, the captain of Team Scotland. And uh, kind of going into this game, Dave, where where was your hat at?
0: So, uh, going into this game, so Ennis just dispatched uh, Brian, my teammate. Mm. And uh, oh, Brian comes Brian. over to me immediately and goes, this is what Ennis is going to try. I kind of had an inkling because of the way that Brian had played Iron Hands 2. He's like, he's going to try and do this, going to try and do that. And I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I knew kind of some of the things in the game that were going to happen, and I tried my best to prepare for them, but ultimately I couldn't I couldn't weather the storm. I lost by three points for this game, but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into it. So at this point in the tournament, though, you're 8-0, and, and it's just bizarre to think, like, you're 8-0, you're like, 8 wins, and, you know, it's like, I guess someone has to go 8-0, but, like, you know, yeah, 8 it's wins you. is a lot. A lot. <laughs> um, so then, you know, someone's going to go 9-0 as well. So, yeah, this game is on stream, too, and you can check it out. And uh Innes, this is the second time we've played we played in the Goonhammer finals uh uh at uh oh, that was last year the beginning in of last mid-off. year i believe mm, and then and the, yeah and this is uh my peak performance at the <laughs> leviathan nids. um and that was with player mics uh but we had a, a an absolute blast of a game uh and is a super lovely guy there were multiple points in the game where he gave me uh, a nice take back and multiple points in the game where um you know I gave him the heads up about things and then um, gave him a take back as well and that's that's a nice way um to have the game played it it felt more like we were playing the game just to play the game as well as we both possibly could rather than mm-hmm. playing the game as well as we both possibly could under the circumstances do you get what I'm saying Oh yeah, and, and Innes
1: is amazing, and there are so many top level kind of competitive players uh, that play in the UK who are like this, mm. um, and it's it's a joy to uh, to play against them. And Innes is definitely one of them. So, and it was it was very obvious looking at it on the screen with like the kind of discussions, you can see your hands, your mm. hands indicate what you guys are saying, mm. um, and it was very clear you guys were having a great technical kind of exciting game
0: of forty k yeah yeah so and this is playing iron hands and this i think is you know arguably this one of the strongest armies in the game right mm-hmm. i don't think anyone would contend that guard are better than iron hands i don't think god are the best army in the game um i think god are maybe in the maybe fourth or fifth so I'm, I'm gonna make a point here about
1: god and i think the power level of god is in list design like what you are doing here, Dave, mm. where the rule set is so incredibly powerful in this guard list, the second you just take your foot off the I'm gonna take the most powerful units and you start looking at, look how good my secondary and primary control is on mm. top of having a good shooting base. It's a recipe for success in that guard list that I think very few card players are going to be able to utilize mm. and are utilizing. Yeah. So. I'd be really careful with the statement that Guard aren't as powerful as Iron Hands. I think, on average, you're going to do much better with Iron Hands than Guard. Mm. But absolute, Guard, Eldari, all of these armies absolutely have to- kind of extremely powerful tournament winning tools. For sure.
0: Yeah, the reach is still obviously there. And our game was very, very close. And, and Innes mm. had a number of things that uh, went his way. So, Innes is playing Iron Hands. We're playing Death and Zeal, which is just a very well-balanced mission, I think, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's no, neither here nor there. It's a nice one. Um, it's a good one to end the tournament on. We can both get a bunch of primary. So I knew going into this game, I was razor focused on the points, the mm-hmm. whole tournament, which is quite bizarre for me, if anyone who knows me. Um, I knew that based on the game, if I hold 888, and mm-hmm. I get uh, 10 for the tertiary, I'm on 42 primary. Okay, so Ennis might get 45, but that means my secondaries have to be three above him. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, great. So Innis ends up taking shock tactics and bring it down. <laughs> and then he also takes oath of moment. So I thought, okay, you know, you, the you castle... Should, you're <laughs> winning
1: on paper here.
0: Winning on paper here, yeah. Now A lot, actually. I think I could have won this game, but it would have just, it would have required some absolute galaxy brain decisions that, you know, under the circumstances, on a nine, ninth round is just, um, you know, it's if you are the type of player that can see them, then, you know, you are a better player than me, for example. Um, but what ends up happening is Ennis... Um, wins the he loses the roll up to infiltrate i block up one of his infiltrators this stuff doesn't really matter um and but he ends up going second which is quite big mm-hmm. now in going second more or less means that i can't stop him from getting 15 on oath moments now that is very very big in the game because if he goes first he's probably looking at like a 10 and this is a game where every single point matters
1: it's a, it, it is a 10 but at the same point your tertiary won't necessarily be 10 at that point is the way i i saw it
0: well i'll always get two for holding the top objective so uh, my tertiary will always be 10. ah
1: uh-huh, interesting
0: yeah okay. you see because mm-hmm. i get two points for holding the objective outside my deployment zone
1: ah uh, oh sorry i think i just got it wrong i just thought death and zeal was hold the
0: center or kill a unit on the center oh no i think it's hold any of the any of the ones in the oh fair the... Enough. okay the yeah. carry on. but if you kill uh, hold the center you get like an additional one so you can get three okay. um mm-hmm. so anyway I thought, well, if I just hold my objectives, Mm -hmm. then Ennis will get zero on shock tactics and I will be, um, in the go here Mm -hmm. because essentially the primary difference will be that he will score 12. However, I will, he will be on a negative 15 because of shock tactics. Mm -hmm. And that was how the game played for a long time. Um, Ennis, I got a little bit unfortunate right from the get go. My three sentinels, even though I CP rolled the number of hits and he doesn't get a save with four rolls to hit and wound, didn't kill his speeder. Um, and then I had to drop this and I, I dropped the scions down to make sure they couldn't emergency disembark any part of the objective where I couldn't see it, etc. These, these parts kind of take a long time to work out, but this is extremely important stuff to where you need to dedicate as little resources as possible to clearing mm-hmm. objectives. And this is a fundamental part about if you want to improve your game plan, a really important thing. Um, so then my scions come down, they have to clean up the scouts. But I end up hitting like a long bomb 10 charge, <laughs> mm-hmm. so this is a game-defining part as well. So my scions are strung across the middle of the board. Uh, they deny him the primary because I end up putting one scion on there to contest the objective, but not to give him shock tactics. So my scions don't kill the scouts, but then we're, we're so we're in combat after that. Now Ennis comes out, and I've got a I've got a scout sentinel and ten guys across the board. And Ennis very cleverly goes for a double wrap here. Now a single wrap in most games is relatively difficult to pull off but Ennis going for the double wrap here he charges my scout sentinel uses all of his reroll abilities to fail as many as possible and then curls the rest of his two vanguard veteran squads around my silence as well mm-hmm. to wrap both my silence and my scout sentinel in the middle of the board so that I can't desperate break out one and desperate breakout is something I use quite a lot this game mm-hmm. uh this tournament and um I notified Innis at the time I said Innis, I'll be able to pile in and consolidate now it's very tricky it's very difficult to actually lock a 10-man unit that's strung out with terrible mm-hmm. saves and toughness three. Yeah. Because what you can do is, um, and this is, kind of, I guess, one of the more advanced plays, is that you can take units, your losses as your, um, in your units such that you will then have to re- withdraw more because of your, to maintain your coherency. This is something mm-hmm. I did both in the game versus Manny and versus Innis. It doesn't actually happen that much, but I guess the two top players, you know, it presented itself both back to back. Now, what ended up happening is those guys that were strung out, piled in and consolidated into the rest of Innes' army. So I was able to tag one of his captains, Mm -hmm. and his captain's reasonably good in combat. And if you watch the stream on this part, um, after my last game, I, I, I simply said to the judge, all I want to do is tag as much stuff with these four models. Can you just tell me exactly where all my guys can move? And then Ennis, you can say what you think and blah blah blah. But I will agree with whatever you say, Judge. And so we got our extra. This is a really cool part about the tournament is that you know we got our extra models. The judge was like, well, this guy's to go that way, that guy's to go that way, and, and him and Ennis are debating around this guy that way. And you know, and then um, I'm going, okay, what have we decided on? And the judge says, you know, you can take this model here, this model here, but you can't take the Tech Marine. I said, okay, cool, let's do that can you move my models for me and the judge said well i can't move your models for you mate. (laughs) but you just want to go get a drink chill out so um yeah i ended up tagging him and then i ended up a really cool part i don't know if you have to do this but um i said in i have to slow roll my saves because um if i do pass them i need to i can't see how many i pass automatically so i have three saves to make I can't just roll them all at once because if I pass them all, then I would have done something differently. Or if mm-hmm. I pass yeah, one yeah. or slow. two, then I'm gonna do something different. So I have to allocate it to the model. I said, this model is taking this, this save. Okay. I failed it. Take this model. And then, you know, reestablishing this model's within two inches. This one's not, this one's not, this one is, you know, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I'll take it on this model now, pull it, um, and then this model now, and then all throughout my head, I'm going, what is the, you know, what, where, you know, what's the best case scenario? Where can I pull out, etc., etc." Um, I like stuff like that i think uh it's kind of um it's a good mental challenge mental exercise to play uh and that's how you, and then i was able to then desperate break out my sentinel in the next turn i was able to get boots on the ground as well because my silence was alive so two things kind of went my way ish there uh, well they didn't really go my way i could i could do that play regardless but um I, my silence were alive so i got to get another boots on the ground um and then what ends up happening in the next couple of turns is, and this is quite under quite a bit of pressure now my roguel dawn had come out to shoot some vanguard veterans Ennis shoots five desolators, uh, four hits, three wounds. Like they're winning on fives with like almost no rerolls. Uh, oh, <laughs> my Rogodorn fails all its saves and then um, he sh- shoots like another desolation squad, four hits, three wounds, and oh, then my uh, <laughs> yeah. Rogodorn's dead. But you know, the Rogodorn, reality is at this point in the game, I was never going to win the game by tabling Ennis's army. Um, Innis' army has way more output than mine, and it's a little reasonably more dynamic. I mean, so... you say that, but where it looked like on the scorecard
1: here is that Innis is gonna have to make an approach turn now that he missed that wrap.
0: Exactly. Because
1: he does not win unless he hits Shock Tactics and also denies your primary.
0: Yeah. The problem here is that Innis was able to stage well because my thing, my key pieces like Armored Sentinels and Rogue Dawn couldn't get the couldn't get the, my staging part to where I would get the first jump onto his staging units mm, yep. so my Sentinels were at the back and so was my Rogaldorn so um he was able to stage an army where my armored Sentinels couldn't come out chop them up or shoot chop you know charge and, and et cetera et cetera yep. so he was always going to come bearing down and I made a the, the one mistake I made in the game here was that I made what I said to this was a very natural play now when you're playing a game under time constraints uh i I, it's very akin to chess for example the way i like to think about warhammer is that at any given point of time there's like four optimal moves that you can do you know at the 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 most optimal move is extremely hard to see but as a as playing a tournament if you're consistently making moves that are within the top one two three four most optimal moves if you think about like a computer chess engine recommendation then you're going to be doing on par very well I probably made here like the third or fourth optimal optimal move, and it looked like a very natural move, right? Mm -hmm. So what I did was I put four four rolls to hit, fix bayonets on my command squad. I'm going to jump in the middle, chop up some vanguard veterans, contest the objective, not give them shock tactics, get boots on the ground as well. And that seems like a very natural play to do. The reality is, is that Ennis was able to then use that command squad to slingshot a lot of his army. Really well done shoot off three of the models slingshot the army across so that he could then tag in his rights of war models dump all the scouts on the objective and by just one model uh beat me with 11 objects uh 10 oh, obsec models to 10 obsec models i think it was uh and there was so much stuff before that as well you know he shot his desolation marines into my um uh, into my silence that were on the objective you know i used the ability to minus one ap and then no ru rolls you know i even cp re-roll to save because i knew every single model here was going to count um but yeah i wasn't able to do it and that was when he was able to four me on the primary and then also mm. get four for shock tactics so yeah that was a massive swing in the as game.
1: soon as that point happened we uh like i looked at the scorecard and i was like this is going to be ultra tight
0: now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I said to Ennis, I think I I, after he did that and he we confirmed the number of models. I said, I think you got it now, mate. And um yeah, so after that I just tried my best to shoot everything off as much as possible, use all my resources and then hopefully hit some very long charges with my sentinels to the point where I could tag just all of his army and then he couldn't um, you know, maybe get a 12 or he couldn't get to bring it down or shoot into combat or something like that as well. Mm -hmm. Um unfortunately I wasn't able to do that. My charges I hit were quite small. Leontis, uh, wasn't able to kill off of the Vanguard veterans in combat um and yeah like he has the stratagem for five up feel no pain which mm-hmm. on his wound two models is really good against my uh relics <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all my flat two damage that I invested in uh, I think I killed one Vanguard veteran with my command score <laughs> it was a bit sad but um yeah it was uh, man it was a really close game I I um I remember thinking during the game I was like I just can't believe that I'm gonna get sickened here I just you know it seems kind of surreal and um, it was just such a it was such a good game that regardless of the outcome you were going to be happy um, that you played that you played well.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I wanna I wanna say this story here because there was a chat on one of the Discord channels. You know, there's lots of like really good players on there, and there's one player Typhus who's on there, mm. uh, Team Poland Typhus, mm-hmm. and uh, he said, "I Iron Hands never win this game." Uh, sorry, no. God will never win this game. Iron Hands are so super, super favoured. Hmm. Um, and then there was another guy, and he said, "Look, Vic, I'll make a bet with you. If Dave can make it to round three, <laughs> then I'll bet money. I'll, I'll give money to charity, whatever your charity of choice is." <laughs> and I was like, "Hold on a second, guys." Dave has such an obvious and natural passive game on this, if you look at the board and the scoring, that regardless of what's going to happen, this is going to be a very tight game. And if anything, Innes is going to have to make moves to try and score a small victory. Hmm. Um, And then after the first few turns, my call was, look, look at the board state, Typhus, this is a 10 to 15 point uh, win for Dave. Um, mm. and, and then, you know, Innes got those t- tiny little things that just mm. brought him in that f- getting you down to a four and primary and getting the shock tactics yeah. completely changed that game and the
0: For sure. position. And that was actually a very interesting, if you want to go back and watch that stream, I tried my very best to, um, to try and think of the best way that I could stop him from getting on that objective yeah, you put on all... the outside of a ruined and yeah, yeah, exactly. I dumped everything on the outside so that he couldn't, and my, my KD command squad tried to tag the speeders before that turn so that I, he couldn't fall back and disembark, because we looked up the strats. Um, and then I and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to put all my guards on the outside, my Chimera an inch off the wall so you can't charge, string out all my sounds and inch off the wall so the charge is longer, have my Leontis there to, to make them odd sick, and um, yeah, but I
1: just... I, like, the final part of that story is that at the end of the game, um, Typhus said he's never seen someone play guard like that before. And <laughs> I think generally it was just everyone was just saying, like, that was such a good game for both players, the level of tactical nuance there. Yeah, well, I'm blushing mm. a bit more, but uh it <laughs> was awesome, man. That was so such a good set of streams at the end there. Gosh, yeah,
0: it was a it was a wicked event. I was absolutely shocked, but I was uh, I was so stoked for Innes as well to win. He's in the three Super major Club as well. He got an awesome trophy as well. He got like mm-hmm. this um handmade blacksmith uh trophy which is like really cool to see um I got like a, a chainsaw thing um that's like silver yeah, which is really awesome as well Brian got the golden ticket uh yeah. Boris our 0. 0.5 team our half teammate as we always joke uh <laughs> won best overall actually which is a huge accomplishment mm-hmm. um, you have to win best painted more or less and to you know basically make the top 16 as well with world eaters um so congratulations he also got the golden ticket as well uh Brian site became third overall beating Manny Chima in the final round, uh, and then our other teammates did really well as well. So all in all, I mean, an absolute powerhouse performance from the team, uh, I think, as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And it kind of uh, pushes us nicely into our next event, Dave, um, oh. because the team is going to be going to Birmingham Teams Tournament as our next yeah. event, yep. which is uh, which is going to be extremely
0: interesting for us as a team. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this, this event as a team, we really consolidated because it was the first time we had like, you know, five of out of six of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was awesome to have everyone come together. Uh, but Birmingham is going to be awesome as well. We'll have uh, myself, Vic B.J., Brian Seip, uh Choco mm-hmm. Johansson, mm-hmm. and then we'll also have uh, Boris Mitchev coming as well. So hopefully we're going to ignite the uh, Birmingham Supermajor, uh, well, the Birmingham Teams Tournament, and uh, it'll be a great time no matter what.
1: Uh, I think uh, that's going to be a really exciting one for us. We're going to try and be a bit intelligent with it, and uh, yeah, that potentially be our last event of ninth edition.
0: Last event for ninth edition. Oh, oh my god! Signing god. it off. Great. It's great. been great. We'll have to do a giant ninth edition retrospective. Yeah, roundtable. A uh, roundtable round that would be cool. Maybe we should organize something in IRL. We can uh, get some microphones around. That would be awesome.
1: Fantastic. And I think that uh, neatly brings us to the end of this episode, guys. I think we're on on time. And, um, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I would love to hear a little bit of interaction here, because there were kind of two halves to this. I think the first half where we talked about the terrain format, the differences, etc, can spark a lot of discussion about this. And I think the discussion about what terrain and stuff we primarily use in the uk is is a very um very important thing that's going to go into 10th edition in my opinion Mm. fantastic guys thank you for listening and uh we'll see you soon by the fireside
0: thank you for listening to the 40k fireside podcast book and i hope you've enjoyed listening and we greatly appreciate any feedback that you can provide after the show